Welcome to the Giants Huddle, a New York Giants podcast. Hi again, everybody. I'm Paul Dottino, and welcome to a special episode of the Giants Huddle podcast. Today, we sit down and talk to former Giants general manager Ernie Acorsi. Acorsi scouted Eli Manning prior to the 2004 draft, and he executed the draft day trade with the San Diego Chargers that brought the quarterback to Big Blue. I want to remind everybody that the Giants Huddle podcast can be found on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms and services, including TuneIn and Apple Podcasts. Now we welcome in former Giants general manager Ernie Acorsi. Ernie, obviously it was your mission to go get Eli Manning, and you did what you had to do to get him. Do you think in retrospect, is there anybody who could have said one thing to deter you from making that move? Although obviously we all know it worked out really well. Well, Wellington Tamara would have said no. I guarantee you, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't. I was always subject to what the you know if the owner approved. Of course, Wellington never did. Um, you know, the one thing that that I mean it would have been something I would have seen might might have changed my mind. But I, I didn't have that much pressure because there wasn't. You know, we had Roethlisberger right rated right behind him. But people people think well, you had Rivers second because you picked him. No, I I picked Rivers because. That's who San Diego wanted, um, and I asked him that. But I could, I could not. By league rules, I could not draft a player for a team. So I had to pick him and then hold my breath that he'd live up to the deal, because the league wouldn't accept the trade until after I drafted Rivers. But I felt very strongly, and so did all of us, about Roethlisberger. So, I, listen, I was no guarantee that Roethlisberger was going to be there for. I mean, we had to get by Oakland pick Gallery, who was a guard. Cardinals picked Fitzgerald, so very possibly one of those two teams could have picked Roethlisberger. Then I don't know what I would have done. But so I didn't have that much pressure on me. But I liked—I just was something about Eli that to me was a tiebreaker, and we all felt that way. Uh, so, so really, as far as the football people there, after I had reached my conviction, uh, no, I mean I felt con- convinced on him. I remember at his pro day, which was f- fantastic. So was Roethlisberger's. It was in the New Orleans uh, facility, indoor. Tom Coughlin, God bless him, he, you know, he's the opposite of me. I'm sitting there watching, looking at the big picture, and he's charting every throw, walking up and down the sidelines. He's got a laundry list. He made this throw and this throw. He's at 90% on this throw. So I walked up to him, and I looked at all these notes he's got, and he started going over them. I said, Tom. That's that's great. We're, we're drafting him, okay? So I turned around and went to the back because I had seen enough. I had seen him in two games live. I watched every game he played uh, on tape, and I saw, now I'm seeing him live again, and it was no doubt in my mind. Now, to a lot of people, Ernie, it was that last game against Dallas, the come-from-behind dramatic victory in his rookie season of 2004, that was kind of the, the, the hurdle that he cleared to get to that next level of quarterback. At what point in his Giants career did you believe that he was going to live up to the full potential that you had targeted him for? Well, I never lost faith, but I don't think I'm any different than anybody else in personnel who makes a decision. We never we never get in. I mean, for example, uh, when we made that trade, we only had four picks the next year, and we got Brandon Jacobs, Corey Webster, and Justin Tuck. And to this day, I think the guy we picked fourth, whose name escapes me right now, I think he should have made the team. So, so anytime you pick players and have faith in them, you never give in. So I, I, you know, my confidence didn't wane. I had seen Burke Jones 
play, you know, really struggles rookie year. I saw John Elway line up under the right guard. I remember that there was an article about it. He didn't even play the Steelers, and he was so lost his voice so much. He goes under the right guard. The guard turns around and said, "I don't have the ball, John. The center has the ball." I mean, so I had seen how much rookies. You know, United threw an interception for a touchdown on his first pass and blew a game to the Bears, first game he ever played. So I knew that, look, he was going to struggle. And Tom threw him in there against Baltimore, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington had a great defense at that time. I mean, we, you know, he really got hammered in his first couple of games. I don't know if you remember that. Sure. Shots he took in the Philadelphia game in particular. Uh, there was one after he threw an interception. He almost got wiped out. Jerome McDougal uh, crushed him. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I had faith in him. I think that game put some bounce in his step, though, because I remember I never really saw much of him upstairs, but that, that was the last game. He came upstairs, and I guess he was going to go by the financial office or something, and he stopped by, and his whole – it was like the weight of the world had been lifted off his shoulders. and Because he didn't just throw a touchdown pass or something. He checked off and took a risk to Tiki, and it ended up winning the game against Dallas, of all people. So – so I never really lost faith, but you know I will say this about him. Uh, as I said, I came into the league with Johnny Unitas, so that set a standard for me. And, and in my opinion, he was the greatest that ever played. So I'm not saying that every player, every quarterback I had, but I had Unitas, Marl, Burke Jones, Kozar, and Eli. So I think I know what a quarterback looks like. <laughs> and and the and the thing about him. I'm in Golden, Colorado, my first week on the job in training camp. We're, we're training out there because we're playing four teams in the West. There were six preseason games. And I'm standing with a wonderful man named Milt Davis, who was a starting corner in the 58 championship game for the, Giants, for the Colts and was now a West Coast scout for us, had a doctor's degree. And I'm looking at Unitas. Now, understand, Unitas had a great year in 67. I'm at Penn State, 68-69, so I haven't seen him live. That's 68 when he gets hurt. But by the time 70 rolls around, he, he's, not, he's lost the velocity. and, and it, it, there's, no, there's no starch on the ball at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like watching Bob Feller and then become Eddie Lopat. <laughs> I mean, he still had all the savvy and all the guile and all the intelligence. And I'm watching it in practice, and I don't know anything. And I said to Milt, I said, can we win with him? And he said, Remember this for the rest of your life. You don't judge a quarterback on anything but this. Can he take the team down the field in the final minutes and into the end zone with the championship on the line? If he can do that, you take him. Okay. And I've always believed that is how I evaluated quarterbacks. And you know, here now history repeats itself. 78 yards away in the Super Bowl, I'm sitting with my son, who had coached at Maryland and Virginia, when Eli takes over the ball in the last drive. And I said, if he is what we expected him to be, he does it now, not October 15th, now. And he did. And not only did he do it, he did it the next Super Bowl. So that's how I judge a quarterback. And for me, that fulfilled everything that, you know, all the promise we had in him. Aside from the two Super Bowl victories with the awesome throws to Tyree and Manningham, is there a game that if you could just put in a time capsule and show people 30 years from now and say that was Eli Manning, is there another one, or does he have to be defined by those Super Bowls for you? Well, he'll be defined by those Super Bowls, but to me, 
they weren't the two greatest games. The two greatest games that I marveled at were in, in succession, you know, I mean, in, in sequence. The Green Bay Championship game, when he wouldn't wear a glove, it was so biting cold that, that Favre had gloves on. He didn't. And Ronnie Barnes told him, you've got to wear a glove. He said, I'm not telling you that you'll throw the ball better. You're, you're going to get frostbite. I mean, Dan Reeves had fingers that he never got feelings in after the, the ice bowl. Those things are permanent if you get a frostbite. The way he played in that game on the road in that kind of weather against that team. And the other one was San Francisco championship game when they knocked him on the ground and knocked him on the ground and knocked him on the ground, and he kept getting up off the canvas and winning. And Vic Fangio is a friend of mine. He was the defensive coordinator. I saw him at the Senior Bowl after that. I said, what, were you trying to kill my quarterback? I mean, he said, it didn't work. <laughs> I mean, that defined him to me. That's, those two games talked about his toughness. Because you'll remember when, when he came up, always he has no emotion. He's phlegmatic. You know, does he really care that much? You know, that, that just you know, defied any of those thoughts because those were the two games to me because that got you to the Super Bowl. And sometimes having been through it, it's almost getting there is a bigger challenge than when you get there. Uh, there's almost, listen, if you lose a Super Bowl, there's nothing worse. Don't get me wrong. But you've been to the Super Bowl. There you haven't been there yet. And in Cleveland, I, you know, I lost three championship games. I know what that's like. John Madden told me the day before our Minnesota game, he said, I've lost five of these or six of these. He said, there's nothing more painful than losing this game because you're one game for the Super Bowl. And he, he performed under those conditions in those two games. I think the final landmark game of his career that I have to get your impressions on, Ernie, was the game against Miami, last game of the 2019 regular season, the emotion in the building, him walking off to the standing ovation and the chance of Eli. I'm sure you must have felt like a proud papa the way he was embraced by these fans in New York. I know it's one of the landmark Giants moments of recent history for sure. And I agree, Paul. That, you know, he really deserved that day. And you never know whether it was going to happen or not. I mean, fate intervened, and it, and it did get it, he did get a chance to have that day where he played well. They won the game, you know, because he had played so well against Philadelphia the week before in the first half. And I thought, well, it's going to happen this way in Philly. I mean, he was on his way to having a great game when they shut us down in the second half. But I'm, I'm so happy he had that day. Uh, I didn't go for a reason because. I guess this is the Italian in me. I didn't want to be disappointed uh, and then have to drive through the traffic to get home after that. <laughs> I knew at least if things went bad in that game, I figured he was never going to play again for the Giants. I could turn the TV off, uh, but I certainly didn't turn the TV off. And it was a it was a great it was a great day and seeing you know his, his mom and dad and his family, his wife and children there at the end. Uh, it, it was yeah, it made me feel awful good. It was a tremendous closing. At least a Giants phase of it, you know, it, it closing to his career. Yeah, there certainly couldn't be more of a of a high profile, good quality guy to to be connected to in your career, Ernie. You guys are connected at the hip, and and that's got to be a proud thing for you too. Yeah, Bino Cook said to me, you know, uh, the great Bino Cook. He said you could be on the first spaceship to Mars. And your obit, the first sentence is going to be Eli, not that trip. And, and then, you know, it's probably true. I guess that, you know, there, I love, I brought a lot of players in here, but the one that uh, the people on the street 
stop me about is Eli. I mean, I get that to this day, uh, and I've been retired for 12 years. I still get people who thank me for Eli. Ernie, appreciate it. It was really awesome talking to you again, and uh, great memories, and I'm sure that everybody who listens uh, will have a smile on their face as they relive this stuff with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for asking me. That's former Giants general manager Ernie Acorsi. I want to remind everybody that the Giants Huddle podcast can be found on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app, as well as all your favorite podcast platform services, including TuneIn and Apple Podcast. And be sure to leave a positive review and rating. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of the Giants Huddle, and we'll see you next week on another episode of the Giants Huddle podcast. So long, everybody.